Let's go to the Lord again in prayer. Holy Father, hallowed be Thy name. Help us to have a proper attitude toward You at all times. We live in this sinful body and we often cry with the Apostle Paul, O wretched man that I am. And yet at the same time, we cry with him for thankfulness for the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that it is by that blood that we are justified in your sight. We long for the day when there will be no trials, there will be no afflictions, there will be no sickness nor pain, and as glorious as it is and as much as we try to contemplate what it will be like. Our mouths are stopped and we just sit in wonder or in wonderment at the glorious reality that awaits us in our glorified bodies. Yes, we can say with Paul again that to depart and be with Christ is far better But that's not the ultimate. It's in the resurrected body of being with you. We do pray for those that are sick, those that are mourning over the loss of loved ones, those that are wrestling for repentance. We ask that you would raise up more faithful ministers and that you would be with the faithful ministers that are, that they might proclaim faithfully the truth of the gospel until their dying days or the coming of the Lord. We would like to see the gospel to go forth in power to bring repentance in the lives of those who shake their fist in your face. We know that you can change the tide. We recently 
here at this place, and we would not say that it is our prayer particularly, but as we were collectively praying for some people that we know or know of in Canada, and the wildfire, the brush fires were headed for their their own farm, and they asked for prayer. And before the day was over, not only did the winds change and the fire moved in a different direction, but the rains came. We recognize you answering. We don't always see or recognize the answers of your prayers in such ways. But you're the same God. The same yesterday, today, and forever. I pray now that you would bless us as we continue studying your word. Endeavoring to ascertain what it is you would have us to know and believe. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're studying uh, this verse 28 of 1 John 2, where it said, And now, little children, abide in Him, that when He shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him, at his lump at his coming. Last Lord's Day afternoon we looked at that word appear <clears throat> and we saw that it means to uh, render apparent and it and as we saw how it was used throughout the New Testament, it was not used to indicate the Lord appearing uh, in judgment as in 70 A.D. at uh, the destruction of Jerusalem, nor was it God appearing to us in our life now in judgment, but it has to do with a visible appearing of the human body of the Lord Jesus Christ at His second coming. <clears throat> and then this morning we began looking at this word coming in that verse. And we, <clears throat> and we saw so far that there's no question as, as to what this coming is that it has to do with Somebody coming in a bodily appearance, no, in a bodily form, not a, just an appearance. And it's not just uh, coming to us as we read and study in a mystical way or a spiritual way, nor was it have to do with uh, Him coming at 70 A.D. at the destruction of Jerusalem. <clears throat> and because that is a uh, a view of eschatology that uh, has been advocated and being advocated in our day, uh, 
uh, we wanted to uh, look at this word and show that it has to do with a visible, bodily, material coming and an appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also pointed out that if we were doing a full study uh, of coming, we would also look at the Greek word. It's not used in this verse. The Greek word, erichomai, that's used over 600 times in the New Testament. But... Uh, we're just trying to stick with this one verse and these two words that are used in order to uh, show how it's used. And we left off with 1 Corinthians 16, verse 17, where Paul said, I am glad of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus and so on. In other words, those men didn't come mystically they came bodily. They came physically in their body. So we looked at Matthew 24, verses 3, 27, 37, 39, 1 Corinthians 15, 23. Now we want to take up in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. If I want to know what a word means, and what God wants me to know how this word is used, then I uh, do a word study and see how He uses it in His in His book, and take it from there. There are some words, obviously, in Greek, just like there are in English. There are some words that have dual meanings, but as a general rule, that's not the case. What I mean by that. I used this word, uh, I believe, last Lord's Day, the word B-O-W. In our English word, B-O-W. Well, you could use that word talking about somebody bowing down, or it could be talking about the bow of a ship, or the bow of a boat. But it could also be talking about a bow, like a ribbon in somebody's hair, or like a bow that you shoot an arrow with, or, uh, uh, I believe there was another way that the bow could be used. But So you can see that it can be used in this one word, B-O-W, can have more than one meaning uh, as it, it's used. But even in our English, though we have some words like that, that's not the norm. That's not the norm. And usually, when it is used, in a different way, uh, it's easily to be understood uh, what is being said. Uh, in other words, you could say uh, the girl who had a bow in her hair killed a deer with a bow. Well, you would know which bow, you would know what that was talking about by how the word is used. And when we look at this word parousia, we see that it has a bodily appearance, not some coming in judgment. Uh, the Lord went uh, judged uh, 
Jerusalem in 70 A.D. or something like that. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 6. Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down comforted us by the coming, there it is, of Titus. And not by His coming, there it is again, only, but by the consolation wherewith He was comforted in you, and so on and so forth. So you see here this word used, uh, parousia, coming, it talks about a bodily, physical coming or appearance of Titus. Chapter 10. Paul talking about uh, himself. Verse uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 10. For his letters, say they, are, mighty, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Well, the word there is not the word coming, but it's the word present. Presence. In other words, it's talking about the physical, material, human body of the Apostle Paul being wherever he was. Not talking about some mystical coming. Not talking about some spiritual coming. It's not talking about anything but just a real coming. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Paul is, we'll read, uh, pick up in uh, verse 23. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence... I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and the joy of, and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Again, there's no mystery about what this word coming means. Just as Paul was going to physically Go to Philippi. That's just how real the Lord Jesus Christ is coming. And this is how this, like I said, that's the way this word is used throughout the New Testament unless somebody has some uh, uh, view of eschatology that he wants to use it in Matthew 24 to say, that it's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. And sad to say, they use it in some of these other places here 
to try to say that it's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem instead of the second coming of Christ. Which frankly, well, I won't bypass that for right now. Chapter 2 of Philippians, in verse 12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not only in my presence, not as in my presence only, the word presence is that word coming. In other words, you can see that it's not talking about Paul being in Philippi in spirit. You remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 when he told them to discipline the man that was living with his father's wife. He said, in my spirit, or when you come together in my spirit, then turn this man over to Satan. What he was saying, when you come together and you've got the same idea and opinion as I do about this, then you, you exclude the feller. He wasn't saying when you come together uh, some spiritual uh, way that I'm there in a, some spiritual way. You know, sometimes we say, well, I wish I could be with you uh, in your worship service today, but I'm there in spirit. Well, what are you saying? You're saying, uh, I wish I could be there. Because you sure don't show up in spirit. It's not some spiritual coming. And when Paul said here in verse 12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He uses presence and absence, uh, uh, parousia and absence, it's talking about His bodily presence. His physical presence. Alright? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 I know this can be quite tedious But it is very essential that you know these things. I could say, well, uh, this is what I believe about this, and there are others that believe something else about this, and, and so on. But when you do a study, when you want to try to come to a conclusion of something, you need to uh, do a little digging. First Thessalonians. Chapter 2, verse 19. For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence, that's that word, of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? Paul didn't say, are not ye uh, even in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming to judge Jerusalem in 70 A.D. He's talking about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When He comes back from heaven in His body. Alright? 
chapter 3, in verse 13, you say, well, why are you stressing this? Because there are people, and they are among us, there are people that will use these verses to say it's talking about something else other than the second coming of Christ. Actually, they would have three comings of Christ. But anyway, verse 12, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end He may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. That doesn't sound like Christ coming back to Jerusalem in 70 A.D. and destroying them, does it? It's with all His saints. It's with the elect, as we saw in Matthew 24. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. Alright, chapter 4. Like I said, there are people that make a case for these being a coming of Christ in 70 A.D., not Him coming back in the end of the age or end of the world. They say He's coming at the end of the age, alright, but it's at the end of the Mosaic age. The people that say that, they're saying that from the Mosaic age did not end until 70 A.D. The Mosaic age ended uh, before 70 A.D. But I'm not, in anyway, but that's their contention. Let's start in verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 4. Our word is found in verse 15. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. I don't know that the Lord brought anybody back with Him in 70 A.D. I don't know that He resurrected anybody in 70 A.D. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ shall not prevent them which are asleep. That if we, we're not going to go before those that are asleep. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Didn't say coming in Jerusalem. He's talking about raising people from the dead. He didn't raise anybody from the dead in 70 A.D. There wasn't a secret rapture in 70 A.D. Or as some teach that Christ will come with a secret rapture, there are some that teach that from this verse. That here, this coming in verse 15 is a secret coming. 
and that he raptures or he raises up uh, what they call the church. And what they call the church, the people that believe that this is a rapture in 70, uh, when, the, when Christ returns, that when they, they believe it's a secret rapture of the church, what they mean by the church is all believers from Pentecost to the second coming of Christ. It doesn't include any believers prior to Pentecost. It doesn't include any believers after His coming. That's what they teach about this. They're called dispensationalists. That too is another gross heresy, I think. Though I'm quite hesitant sometimes to say what is a real heresy. But this coming is not a secret coming. It's not a coming in judgment per se. Though Christ will judge when He comes. But that's not what it's talking about. It, when the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep, for the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. I don't, uh, there's no indication in the history uh, at 70 A.D. that there was a shout or a trumpet sounded. With the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now notice what First Thessalonians 4 did not say. It did not say that we, if we are alive when He comes back, it didn't say we'd be changed. And just said we would be caught up. How do we know we'll be changed? First Corinthians 15 tells us that this mortal shall put on immortality and so on and so forth. Well, I'm tempted to go on into the fifth chapter. Well, I do have to go into the fifth chapter some. Uh, uh, verse 23. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not just till, till 70 A.D. Second Thessalonians. This coming is when Christ shall come in the future. Not when God judged Jerusalem in 70 A.D. You say, would you just keep saying that? I do, and I'm going to keep saying it 
till I want to make sure I get the point across. And if you forget it, shame on you. <laughs> it won't be because I didn't try. <laughs> line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept, precept upon precept. Second Thessalonians 2, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him. Whatever coming that is, Second Thessalonians 2, 1, whatever coming that is, we gather together with Him. Resurrected. time's sake, we'll just skip well let's no, I do want to read a little more verse 2 that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us that the day of Christ is at hand. The day of Christ is at hand. You say, well, it says at hand. Yes, it's been at hand for 2,000 years. We're living in the last days. Plural. We're living in the last days. And the last days is that time from the first coming of Christ until He comes back the second time. The last day, singular, is the day of His return, which no man knows. Nobody will know until that day takes place. We saw that in the sign of His coming. You know, one of the questions that, what is the sign of Thy coming? And we saw that in Matthew 24 where it said, nobody would know till the day that He came. The sign of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not somebody that figured it out and it's going to be uh, 2027. Nobody knows the day nor the hour. And Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, You don't need anybody that will write unto you, for you know that the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. So when is it coming? When He comes. Just like a lot of the prophecies in the Old Testament, they couldn't figure it out until Christ came the first time. Well, a lot of these prophecies that come in the second coming of the Lord, when He comes back, we can't figure them out until He comes back. And when He comes back, we'll say, well, that makes sense now. Your eschatology is not going to figure out all the details of the coming of the Lord. But there are some things that must happen before He comes. We saw that in Matthew 24. There be wars and rumors of wars. There be famines. There be earthquakes. Uh, there be false prophets. Well, here's something else. 
Let's start up in verse, well, let's start in verse 1 again. Second Thessalonians 2 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter from us, as that, day of, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God. You say, well, uh, who is that? I believe we'll know when it happens. And I don't know that we'll know before it happens. But when it happens, we'll know it, and no child of grace will worship Him, according to Revelation 13, 7 and 10, uh, 13, 8 and 17. Let me look and see those verses. I've, I just went blank. Uh, Revelation 13, 8 and 17, 8. Alright, verse 3 again. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And so on and so forth. But anyway, uh, he'll be destroyed, that wicked one, uh, when the Lord returns. Verse 8, And when that wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of His... There it is, coming. Even Him whose coming is after the... There it is. His coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. It's a real, real coming. I don't think that took place in 70 A.D. James chapter 5. We're about to get through with this. And I really hope I haven't worn you out. James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Be patient therefore, brethren, unto the coming, there it is, of the Lord. I don't think he's talking about coming 70 A.D. Behold, the husband waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the earthly early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your heart for the coming. There it is again. Of the Lord draweth nigh. So, well, he's talking about the coming of the Lord in 70 A.D. No, he's coming that talking about the Lord when he comes back the second time. Alright. Second Peter. Chapter 
Yes, there are people that say Second Peter is talking about the coming of the Lord in 70 A.D. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Chapter 3, verse 4. Well, let's start at the first verse. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. I think that's the talk about the coming of the Lord in his second time. Why did I say that? Let's just keep reading. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto the fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Alright? What's he talking about? He's making a comparison of the coming of God in judgment in the days of Noah. That's true. But, he's saying the heavens and the earth are now, they're reserved for fire. Well, if that coming that's reserved for fire was in 70 A.D., did the earth burn up in 70 A.D.? Did the earth burn up in 70 A.D.? Why, no. He's talking about the coming of the Lord at the last time. Verse 10, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away. The heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Sound just like what we read in Matthew 24 this morning. About the stars falling and so on. You say, was that literal? I don't have any reason to say it's otherwise. Just read the whole chapter. Don't have time to go back through all of that. Verse 12, looking for and hasting unto the coming, there it is, of the day of God, 
wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens, for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And then our verse. Second John, first uh, John, two twenty-eight is the last time it's used. All right, I don't think this word parousia has any idea of a secret coming, or a mystical coming, or a coming in judgment. It's talking about the physical, bodily appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Unless somebody has some twisted view of his eschatological ideas, you wouldn't read this and think and come up that this is talking about the last days of the Mosaic Age that ended in 70 A.D., I'm oversimplifying uh, the error, I believe, but uh, that's exactly what's been taught and it's being taught and it's being preached and it's being spread over Facebook. And it's among our people. Well, the Lord willing, I'll finish chapter 2 the next time, and then we'll start in chapter 3, probably uh, next Lord's Day afternoon. Like I said, word studies can be Boring, dry, Uh, if I knew a better way or if I were smarter and more skillful to get the point across, uh, I'd do it, but I don't know a better way to get the point across than just to look and see how God used the Word and to understand that's what He means. That's what he means. Let's pray. There's a lot of things we don't understand, our Father, about the coming of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But this much we do believe. He's coming. We know not the day nor the hour. We are not... bothering ourselves to try to figure that out. Frankly, we wish He would come pretty quickly. Or that you just take us. Nevertheless, Thy will be done. Help us to be content 
with your will and to be waiting patiently. But not lazily. May we be active in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, Amen.